السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد respected listeners assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh this is our final gathering before the month of ramadan inshallah subject to the sighting of the moon we should be reciting the holy quran and listening to it in tarawih and qiyam al-layl in just a week's time there is so much that can be said about the month of ramadan today i'll share a few thoughts with you about ramadan and the quran the relationship between the holy quran and the month of ramadan in the whole quran allah only mentions the word ramadan once in surah al-baqarah and the verse is shahr ramadan alladhi unzila fihi al-quran hudan lin-nas wa bayyinatin min al-huda wa al-furqan allah says that month of ramadan in which the quran was revealed as a guidance for mankind and as clear proofs of guidance and of distinction the verse suggests that ramadan draws its greatness and much of its virtue from the fact that the quran was revealed therein so the revelation of the noble quran in the month of ramadan lends it virtue and greatness ramadan is important because of laylatul qadr and laylatul qadr is the night in which allah revealed the quran There are a number of other verses which speak of the same event. In this verse Allah mentions it in general. Shahr Ramadan alladhi unzila fihi al-Qur'an, that month of Ramadan in which the Qur'an was revealed. No night or time is specified. 
But in Surah Al-Dukhan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions it as being one particular land, again without identifying it. Allah says, Hameen, wal kitab al-mubeen, inna anzalnahu fi laylatin mubarakah, inna kunna munthirin. Hameen by the clear book. Verily we have revealed it, meaning this book, in a blessed night. Surely we are warners. And then in Surah Al-Qadr, Allah specifies this blessed night. And he says, إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ فِي لَيْلَةِ الْقَدْرِ وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا لَيْلَةُ الْقَدْرِ لَيْلَةُ الْقَدْرِ خَيْرٌ مِّنْ أَلْفِ شَعْرِ تَنَزَّلُ الْمَلَائِكَةُ وَالْرُوحُ فِيهَا بِإِذْنِ رَبِّهِمْ مِّنْ كُلِّ أَمْرِ سَلَامٌ هِيَ حَتَّى مَطْلَعِ الْفَجْرِ Allah says, Indeed we revealed it, meaning the book, the noble Qur'an, in the night of Qadr. And what do you know? Or what will inform you of what Laylatul Qadr is? The night of Qadr is such that it is better than a thousand months. The angels descend therein. And even the spirit, meaning Jibreel alayhi salam, the angels descend in this night with and, and Jibreel and the Spirit by the command of their Lord with each decree it is peace this is till the break of dawn so that's the surah about Laylatul Qadr so in one verse, Allah mentions it in general that the Qur'an was revealed in the month of Ramadan. In another verse, Allah narrows it down to one night, one blessed night, but again, we, it's not identified. And then in this surah, Allah identifies that one blessed night as being Laylatul Qadr. Now we know that the Qur'an was revealed gradually over a period of approximately 23 years. So what's the meaning of the Qur'an being revealed in one night? And specifically in the month of Ramadan. The meaning of the revelation of the Qur'an in one night is Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah provided this explanation that the Qur'an was revealed in its entirety from the Allah al-Mahfuz, the protected tablet, to the lowest heaven in preparation for its gradual revelation to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I've explained all of this in some detail in the tafsir of Surah Al-Qadr, so I won't repeat myself here. But this is the meaning. The Qur'an was revealed in one night, meaning the whole Qur'an, from Allah al-Mahfuz, the protected tablet to the lowest heaven. And from there it was gradually revealed to the Prophet ﷺ. This is what's being referred to in all three verses of the Qur'an, where Allah speaks of it being revealed in Laylatul Qadr, in a blessed night, and in the month of Ramadan. But there's also one more significance of the words Ramadan, in which the Qur'an was revealed. Not only was the Qur'an revealed in its entirety from, in the month of Ramadan, from the highest heaven to the lowest heaven, but the very first words 
of the Holy Qur'an were also revealed to the Prophet ﷺ in the month of Ramadan. And according to one narration by Ibn Sa'd, with his chain, he says that the Qur'an was revealed to the Prophet ﷺ, i.e. the beginning verses. And Jibreel ﷺ first descended with these verses of Surah Al-Alaq and the Holy Qur'an in the month of Ramadan on the 17th date. On the 17th of Ramadan, which coincidentally was also the date of Badr, many years later. So, not only was the Qur'an revealed in its entirety from the highest heaven to the lowest heaven in the month of Ramadan, the beginning of its revelation to Rasulullah wasallam also began in Ramadan. So there is a very deep connection between the Holy Qur'an and Ramadan. In fact, one could suggest, as is in, we can infer from that verse, that Ramadan owes much of its virtue and greatness to the Qur'an itself. That's why the wording is, that month of Ramadan in which the Qur'an was revealed. After all, the Qur'an is the kalam and the speech of Allah. <coughs> So what is its connection with the month of Ramadan? And how should we honor that? First of all, we should realize that the month of Ramadan is not about feasting. It's about fasting. It's not a festival. The festival is a day of Eid. But the month that precedes the day of Eid... Is not a month, it's not a festival, it's not a month of feasting and festivity. Rather, it's a month of fasting, of privations, of sacrifice, of devotion, and of worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam's ibadah and his worship increased in the month of Sha'ban and reached its climax in the month of Ramadan. And as the month of Ramadan continued, the greater the intensity of the ibadah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There's a whole different atmosphere in the month of Ramadan. And it's not one of festivity or feasting, rather it's one of sacrifice and fasting. But apart from fasting, Ramadan is also the month of the Qur'an. During the day, Allah has made fasting obligatory for the believers. But during the night, Rasulullah has made the recitation of the Holy Qur'an a sunnah for his followers. And that's why in one hadith related by Ibn Khuzaymah in his sahih, although he himself says, if the Narration is authentic and other ulama have questioned, well, the ulama declare the hadith to be weak. But in any case, the hadith is that in the final day of Sha'ban, Salman al-Farsi radiyallahu relates, he says, خطبنا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في آخر يوم من شعبان فقال يا أيها الناس قد أظلكم شهر عظيم شهر مبارك شهر فيه ليلة خير من ألف شهر جعل الله صيام نهاره فريضة وقيام ليله تطوعا 
Prophet وسلم, addressed us and delivered, us a sermon, delivered a sermon to us on the final day of Sha'ban, in which he said, O oh people, a great month has dawned upon you. A, a blessed month. A month in which there is one night which is better than a thousand months. Allah has made the fasting of the days of this month an obligation upon you. And he has also made the vigil and the standing in prayer during the nights of this month an act of virtue for you. So again in this hadith there's that connection. During the day that it's fasting and during the night it's standing in vigil before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, standing in, standing in prayer before Allah, with, busy with the tilawah and the recitation of the Holy Qur'an. And this has been the practice of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the noble sahaba radiyallahu anhum, in fact the whole ummah till today. And this is what I wish to speak on. The need and the virtue of establishing a relationship with the Holy Qur'an, especially in the month of Ramadan, more than any other month. Now why is there such a connection between Ramadan and the Qur'an? We know of fasting, but what's the significance of the Qur'an specifically in the month of Ramadan? First of all, it's been a tradition, not just in Islam, but even with the prophets before Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, that they had a very special connection with Allah in the month of Ramadan. The holy scriptures were revealed in the month of Ramadan, not just the Quran. That's why in a hadith related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahmatullahi alayhi in his in his Musnad. It's related that the Prophet ﷺ said, the Qur'an was revealed in the month of Ramadan. But along with the Qur'an, before, in fact the words of the Hadith are, that the scriptures of Ibrahim ﷺ were revealed in the month of Ramadan. The Torah was revealed in the month of Ramadan. And the Injil was revealed in this month of Ramadan. And the Qur'an was also revealed in the month of Ramadan. So here Allah, he mentions four great prophets. The Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam, the Prophet Musa alayhi salam, the Prophet Isa alayhi salam, and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Although the names are not mentioned in the hadith, but their scriptures are. In fact, specific dates are given. So in this month, the scriptures were given to Ibrahim alayhi salam. The Injil was given to, the Torah was given to Musa alayhi salam. The Injil was given to Isa alayhi salam. And the Quran was revealed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So the, the, there's a history of revelation in the month of Ramadan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to his prophets and messengers in this month. And Allah has revealed his scriptures in this blessed month. So it's not just the Quran. And in keeping with this tradition, Jibreel alayhi salam would regularly visit the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, of course, to bring revelation. 
that he would increase his visits in the month of Ramadan. To such a degree that he would visit him every single day. And these visits would be very different to the normal visits. One, they would be daily. Secondly, Jibreel salam, whether he brought, he brought a new revelation or not, in these visits of Ramadan, he would, sit, he would spend time with Rasulullah wasallam, doing mudarasa, muraja'ah, which means revising the Qur'an. And the method of revision is something which we see all over the world in the month of Ramadan. At homes, in masajid, during the day, you see people pairing up students amongst themselves, teachers and students, friends, those who know the Qur'an by heart. And what they tend to do is, one reads to the other, and he listens, then the other reads to the first, and he listens. This tradition stretches back all the way to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This is the meaning of muraja'ah and mudarasa, as is actually mentioned in the hadith. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would recite, recite the Qur'an to Jibreel alayhi salam. Whichever portion was revealed till that day of the whole Qur'an, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in sections would recite that entire revealed Qur'an to Jibreel alayhi salam, who would listen attentively. And Jibreel alayhi salam would recite the same hitherto revealed Qur'an to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and he would listen to. So this is a very unique tradition. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would be overjoyed by these visits of Jibreel alayhi salam in the month of Ramadan. Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi alayhi relates hadith from Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma who says Kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ajwada al-nas wa kana ajwada ma yakuna fi Ramadan hina yalqahu Jibreel wa kana yalqahu fi kulli laylatin min Ramadan fayudarisuhu al-Qur'an فَلَرَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَجْوَدُ بِالْخَيْرِ مِنَ الْرِيحِ الْمُرْسَلَةِ Abdullah ibn Abbas says that the Prophet وسلم, was the kindest and the most generous of all people. But he would be the most generous ever in the month of Ramadan when Jibreel would meet him, alayhi And Jibreel, alayhi would meet him every single night in the month of Ramadan. And what would he do? فَيُدَارِسُهُ الْقُرْآنِ He would revise the Qur'an with the Prophet ﷺ, in the manner that I've explained. Abdullah ibn Abbas ends a hadith with the words, So surely... The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was kind and more generous in giving good, in sharing good. He was more generous in good than even the free blowing wind. 
So Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhumah, who was his cousin brother, a family member, who would come in and out of the house of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, whose maternal aunt was married to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Not only was the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam his cousin brother from his father's side, but from his mother's side, Maymunah radiyallahu anha, was his mother's sister, his maternal aunt, and she was one of the wives. So by virtue of his kinship, by virtue of blood, by virtue of his aunt, he would come in and out of the house of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he was very young. He would wait upon him, he would attend to his needs, he would serve him. And thus he had an opportunity to observe the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam closely in his private life at home. In fact, he would even spend nights with him. So Jibreel alayhi, so Abdullah ibn Abbas testifies by saying first of all, that of all the people, the kindest, the most freely spending, the most generous, was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. There was no one more generous than the messenger of Allah alayhi salam. That's at any time of the year. But, especially in the month of Ramadan, his generosity, his kindness, his spending in good causes, his sharing with everyone else knew no bounds. He was more generous in the month of Ramadan than he would ever be at any other time of the year. And at other times, he was already the most generous of all the people. And he explains the reason. He says he would be most gen- he would be more generous than ever in the month of Ramadan when he would meet with Jibreel alayhi salam. This meeting with Jibreel alayhi salam and this revision of the Quran with him would inspire the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam in such a way, delight him in such a manner, raise his spirits in such a way. That the Prophet ﷺ, despite already being the most generous of all people, he would spend like the free-blowing wind, sharing, giving. <coughs> and all of this was a result of meeting with Jibreel ﷺ. And the meeting of Jibreel ﷺ was specifically to rehearse and to revise the recitation of the Holy Qur'an. And he would meet the Prophet ﷺ once each year in the month of Ramadan, meaning he would visit him every single night. But for the whole month, and they would cover one Qur'an, but in, his, in the penultimate year of his life, before the Prophet ﷺ was about to leave this world, in that final year, Rasulullah was visited by Jibreel in the month of Ramadan, and together they completed two revisions of the whole Qur'an. And that was the sunnah of Jibreel He visited the Prophet regularly in the month of Ramadan, just as he brought scriptures and revelation to the other messengers of Allah. So there's a very deep connection between the month of Ramadan and revelation. Between... In the communication between Allah, the Creator, and His creation. 
and in keeping with that tradition of reciting the Qur'an as much as possible in the month of Ramadan, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa encouraged us, the believers, to recite as much as possible too. Now, without parallel, the Qur'an is the most recited book in the world. It's the most read book in the world. It may not be the most published or the one that has been translated into the most languages. It may not be a bestseller in the conventional sense because many Qur'ans are given away for free. But more of the Qur'an more of this holy book resides in the minds and the hearts of creation than any other. It finds its place on more lips, on more tongues, in more minds and in more hearts of the whole of creation and has always done than any other book, any other work, any other written piece. And that's remarkable. And this miracle of recitation can be observed in the month of Ramadan. People who do not understand a single word of the whole book. Children recite the Qur'an in its entirety in 30 days. There have been stories of ulama who... The Qur'an is what we call mu'jiz. It's insurmountable. It's unassailable. It's unparalleled, unrivaled in its eloquence, in its beauty. There's a power of the Qur'an which we can't understand. I've spoken before of scholars who are not half of the Holy Qur'an. That is a power of the Qur'an. Allahu Akbar. I can relate to my own experiences. I have personally known students who were extremely poor in their studies in every other subject. Every other subject. In Arabic and Islamic studies. So they were very weak in Arabic, very weak in fiqh, in hadith, in every topic. In fact, I have known students who have studied for years. And despite studying Arabic for years, in an intensive manner, along with Islamic sciences, 
even after many years they were unable to string together a single Arabic sentence and forget doing so verbally, they were unable to translate a single Arabic sentence successfully because (coughs) academically, unfortunately, they were very poor. And yet I have seen these same students in my presence reciting the Qur'an unfalteringly, unhesitatingly, without a single mistake for hours on end. I had a friend. He still is a friend. (laughs) But he suffered from a stammer, and a very severe stammer. He was very intelligent, mashallah. And he suffered from a stammer, a very severe one. In fact, when he was younger, he was often bullied and mocked because of his stuttering and his stammer. Very severe speech impediment. So much so, and this remains a case that if you ask him a single question, it takes him quite a long time to respond. One has to be patient in listening to him. And yet, Allahu Akbar. And, like I said, I speak of experience because I've read the entire Qur'an to him and he has read the entire Qur'an to me in the month of Ramadan. We did Nudarasa as well. Despite his stutter and despite his stammer, when he would begin reciting the Qur'an, Wallahi al-Azim, not a single pause or hesitation in the entire Qur'an. So here we have people, students, who are academically poor in all of the subjects, but who can recite the entire Qur'an from beginning to end without mistakes. And I have witnessed that. Here we have individuals, Hufad, of the Holy Qur'an, who suffer from a speech impediment, who stutter and stammer in normal everyday conversation, even with family members and close friends. And yet they can recite the entire Qur'an without faltering, without hesitating, without pause. And beautifully and melodiously. And yet on the other hand, I've spoken in the past of ulama who have a photographic memory who would actually tell their students that I read this. They would cite a quote from an Arabic Commentary, And we're not even talking about the Qur'an or a book of a hadith. But some, a commentary on a book of fiqh. So not only we have a text of fiqh, it's not a book of hadith. It's not a classical work per se. It's one work out of countless other works of later generations. But we're not even talking about the text of fiqh. We're talking about a commentary on the text of fiqh. 
from later generations. And this scholar is able to cite a very long quote from a commentary on a book of fiqh and is able to say that I read that approximately 36 years ago. And if you go back to it, you will not find a single letter here or there. Scholars whose photographic memory was marveled at and admired by other scholars, and other scholars would ask them, that is it true that you have a photographic memory? And he would say in reply, Alhamdulillah, if I read a book by quickly, without any intention of actually memorizing it, but just rather quickly, inshallah, I won't forget it for 30 years. And if I read a book properly, with a view to remembering it thoroughly, inshallah, I never forget it for the rest of my life. And yet that same scholar who was who had a remarkable photographic memory, was unable to memorize the Qur'an. And not just unable to memorize the Qur'an, he would be seated in a huge congregation, and not just of common people listening to a simple sermon, but he would be seated in the midst of scholars and students, all at his feet. And he would sit there citing narrators of hadith, biographies, dates, facts, figures, obscure references, cross-referencing this hadith with that hadith, all manner of details, all from memory. And then when he would come to a verse of the Qur'an, not only would he be unable to cite it, he would actually say to the students uh, and the scholars seated before him, and as Allah says in that verse of the Qur'an, which verse is it? Recite, recite. Which one is it? And then the students and those who were seated in the congregation would uh, recite the verse and he would say, yes, that verse, that verse. This is why we say the Qur'an is mu'jiz. He has an amazing power. It masters all and none can master it. It elevates people. As Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab said, this Qur'an, Allah elevates certain people with it. And with the same Qur'an, Allah bases others. Allah raises some and lowers some. Those who are unable to learn anything, the Qur'an enters their hearts and minds and resides in them. Those who are able to master other sciences, the Qur'an eludes them. It truly is remarkable. And in this month of Ramadan, we witness part of that miracle. And there were some scholars who had studied all the other Islamic sciences, but for some reason, they hadn't become hafiz of the Qur'an. And under very extreme circumstances, like in one story, a teacher and student were imprisoned together. Come the month of Ramadan, the teacher said, 
But who will lead us in Taraweeh? And his main student was with him. Volunteered, said, I will. But he was not a hafiz of the Qur'an. Every day in prison, whilst fasting, and living in, in those squalid conditions of the prison, he would memorize one juz of the Qur'an daily and recite it in Taraweeh. The Qur'an is truly mu'ajiz. And all over the world, as I said, it's the most recited book in the world. Everywhere. We see the Qur'an being recited. Even here, masajid, madaris, workplaces, homes, privately, publicly, people stand in taraweeh prayers. I've mentioned before that once in the, I was traveling in another country, and in the midst of great traffic, we were going past a roundabout. It's a huge roundabout, well not a huge roundabout, meaning uh, a decent sized roundabout, but there's a lot of traffic, it was hectic. And the the scholars who were with me pointed out to me and said, you see that roundabout? And I said, yes. So well, that roundabout is very special. It's just a roundabout. Green grass patch in the middle. They said, in the month of Ramadan, we actually have taraweeh, salah, and the whole Qur'an is completed in the middle of that roundabout. So, in the middle of roundabouts, in homes, in workplaces, in factories, in masajid, in madaris, in the open, in courtyards, in yards, in farms, in villages, in cities. People recite the Qur'an. And by heart, in taraweeh. As Allah says in the Qur'an, وَلَقَدْ يَسَّرْنَا الْقُرْآنَ لِلذِّكْرِ فَهَلْ مِنْ مُدَّكِرٍ and verily, we have made the Qur'an easy to remember, easy for remembrance. So is there anyone to remember? And in this month, we see that recitation of the Qur'an everywhere. Allahu Akbar. This is that relationship. Fasting during the day, along with Qur'an if possible, but at night especially, Standing in salah, standing before Allah in the recitation of the Qur'an. And even if it's not in standing, then at least sitting. But to be engaged in tilawah of the Qur'an is one of the specific rituals of the month of Ramadan along with, along with fasting. We should condition ourselves and we should constantly remind ourselves that Ramadan is about Qur'an and fasting. Fasting and the Qur'an, not just fasting. Ramadan is not a month of festivity and feasting. It's not a festival. It's a month of fasting. It's a month of recitation. It's a month of remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <coughs> Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fulfilled the sunnah himself. He would recite the Qur'an with Jibreel alayhi salam. Even though he was a recipient of the revelation, 
Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was told by Allah in the Qur'an, وَأُمِرْتُ أَنْ أَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَأَنْ أَطْلُوَ الْقُرْآنَ That say that I have been instructed by Allah to be of the Muslims and I have been instructed by Allah that وَأَنْ أَطْلُوَ الْقُرْآنَ that I recite the Qur'an. Even though he received the revelation, Allah spoke to him directly. Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam would recite unto tilawah of the Qur'an. He was commanded by Allah to do so. And he told his followers to do the same. And the virtues are immense. In one hadith, Related by Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu and recorded by Imam Tirmidhi in his sunan. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Man qara'a harfan min kitabillah, falahu bihi hasana. Wal hasanatu bi ashri amthaliha, la aqulu alif lam meem harfun, walakin alifun harfun, walanun harfun, wa meemun harfun. Or kama qara sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, whoever reads a letter, harf, Whoever, whoever reads one harf, one letter of the, of the book of Allah, then in lieu of that one letter, he shall have one reward. And each reward is multiplied tenfold. And then he continues. He says, I do not say alif lam mean is one letter. Rather, alif is one letter, lam is one letter, and mean is one letter. And the significance of mentioning Alif Lam Mim. Alif Lam Mim is one of those unique combination of words in the Holy Quran at the beginning of the Surah, whose true meaning we do not know. Yasin, Taha, Kaha, Ya'in, Saad, Alif Lam Mim, Alif Lam Ra. Only Allah knows the true meaning of these letters, of these words. So even a combination of three letters, a word of three letters, whose meaning we don't really know, just the recitation of Alif Lam Mim will earn you 30 rewards. So what are the rest of the Qur'an? In the tafsir of Surah Al-Layl, two weeks ago, We learn that Allah says, Inna sa'yakum lashatta. Verily, your effort is diverse. Your endeavor is diverse. Every one of us is doing something. We're trying to achieve something. We go out, we strive. Every one of us is working towards something, striving for something. Toiling. We toil every day. We plod along. We work, we strive, we go out. We labor. Allah says, Ya ayyuhal insan, inna kakadihun ila rabbika kadhan famulaqi. O man, you are plodding towards your Lord, a plodding. 
You are struggling. It's not really plodding, it's struggling. You are struggling towards your Lord, a struggle. In our journey of life, every day, it's a fight, it's a struggle. We're doing something. This amazing body that Allah has given us, this amazing mind, it's all working. We don't realize whilst we carry on with our daily lives and our daily pursuits, our bodies are working for us, our minds are working for us. Our bodies look after our nourishment, our energy needs, our functioning, our breathing, our movement. We are a world unto ourselves. But what's all this for? Is it all just to eat, drink, and copulate and populate? To eat, drink, and procreate? Is that all it's for? We regularly hear that this grey matter, this brain of ours is the most complex organism known to man in the entire universe. There is nothing in the whole universe that is as complex as this mind, as this brain of ours. What is it for? What is it for? They say we share brains with other animals. We share the same brain with primates. Ours is larger. In fact, we constantly hear of other species that are related to us and that share the same brain, in fact, of a similar size. And yet, man has one thing which is unique. Speech. There's one single gene, FOXP2, which is responsible for speech. One single gene. And they say that that same gene, FOXP2, is actually found in other species. For some reason it's not switched on. No, no exaggeration, no joke. The gene itself is to be found in other species, but there is no evidence that there was language. Or there is language. That one single gene is responsible for this one unique gift of man, which is speech. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ar-Rahman, Allam al-Qur'an, Khalaq al-Insan, Allamahu al-Bayan. Ar-Rahman, the gracious. He taught man. He taught the Qur'an. Ar-Rahman, the gracious. He taught the Qur'an. He created man. Allamahu al-Bayan. And he taught him Bayan speech. Man alone has speech. We share so much with other animals, but this is something that makes us unique. What's it all for? 
Is it just to live like other animals? To eat, drink, copulate, populate, procreate? Or is there a greater purpose? So Allah says in the Sa'yakum Lashatta, your efforts are diverse. In another verse, إِنَّكَ كَادِحٌ إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ كَدْحٌ فَمُلَاقِيهِ Oh man, you are struggling and toiling, a toil and struggle towards your Lord, and then you shall meet Him. فَمُلَاقِيهِ And whilst we are engaged in our everyday pursuits, whilst we, every one of us is chasing something, who is chasing the best thing? Who has the best pursuits? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says in a hadith later by Imam Bukhari and others from Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan radiyallahu an khayrukum man ta'allam al-Qur'an wa'allamah the best of you is one who learns the Qur'an and who teaches it. By far he is the best. We marvel at everybody else. We earn every single day. We're always striving. Studies show but once you reach the limit of 40, 50,000 pounds sterling, no more money can make you any happier. That's 50,000 pounds sterling. In other parts of the world, thatched roof, mud walls, single pair of clothes, a meal for the day, and they are happy and content. Nothing can make them happier. But we still never give up. We're always trying. Chasing wealth, earning more, competing with each other, marvelling at each other, racing with each other. My degree should be better than the others. My qualification should be better than the others. My child's degree should be better than the others. My child's qualification should be better than the others. My career should be Brighter than anyone else's. My job should be higher paying, more prestigious than anyone else's. When we grow older, my child's education and career and profession should be more rewarding financially and socially and should be more prestigious than any others, anyone else's. We're always competing. And that competition leads us to envy. We want what others have. We want the car that someone has, the house that another person has. We want their wealth. We want their social standing. We want their riches. And it never ends. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam taught us that if we wish to envy someone without malice, then he's told us what we should envy. Don't envy Wealth, or careers, or professions, or anything else of the dunya. Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu relates in a hadith recorded by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim in their sahih. He says, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, La hasada illa fitnatayn. There is no envy, i.e. there should be no envy. Except in two things. So you should never envy anyone. When we envy someone, 
when we envy someone something in malice, what we really want. Arabic has a beautiful distinction which I've explained before. Hasad and ghibta. But I won't go into detail now. But if we want to envy something, someone, if we want to envy someone something, then what should we envy? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says there is no hasad, there is no envy except in two things. There should be no envy except in two things. I, you shouldn't look at anybody else and say, I wish I had that. Don't look at anybody else's lands, their estates, their, ho- their homes, their riches, their transport, their ride, and say, I wish I had that. If we want to look at someone and marvel at what they have and wish that we had the same, then this is what we should be wishing for, this is what we should be envious of. What? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, لا حسد in this hadith, لا حسد إلا فثنتين. There is no envy except in two things. رَجُلٌ عَلَّمَهُ اللَّهُ الْقُرْآنِ فَهُوَ يَتْلُوهُ آنَاءَ اللَّيْلِ وَآنَاءَ النَّهَارِ فَسَمِعُهُ جَارٌ لَهُ فَقَالْ لَيْتَنِي أُوْتِيتُ مِثْلَ مَا أُوْتِيَ فُلَانٌ فَعَمِلْتُ مِثْلَ مَا يَعْمَلُ A man whom Allah has taught the Qur'an, so he recites it for all hours of the day and all hours of the night. And his neighbor hears him and exclaims, that would, how I wish, would that I was given what Fulah has been given, so that I could do what he does. And the second person, وَرَجُلٌ آتَاهُ اللَّهُ مَالًا فَهُوَ يُهْلِكُهُ فِي الْحَقِّ فَقَالَ الرَّجُلٌ لَيْتَنِي أُوْتِيتُ مِثْلَ مَا أُوْتِيَ فُلَانٍ فَعْمِلْتُ مِثْلَ مَا يَعْمَلٍ and a man whom Allah has blessed with wealth, then he spends that wealth in the truth. So a man exclaims and say, a man exclaims, saying, I wish, would that I had been given what such and such a person has been given, so that I may do what he does. So there should be no envy, there should be no marveling at anyone else, and wishing that we had what they have. We have what they have, except in two things. The Qur'an and charity. In nothing else. The best amongst you is one who learns the Qur'an and who teaches it. And there should be no envy, except in two things. One, someone whom Allah has taught the Qur'an, he recites it for all hours of the day and all hours of the night. There is so much reward for reciting the Qur'an. Indeed, we should all make an effort. It doesn't matter if we struggle. Allah rewards us for every word. When it comes to the Qur'an, never give up. I've explained, people who stutter and stammer in everyday conversation recite the Qur'an beautifully, melodiously and fluently, without pause, without hesitation, without halting, without faltering. And even if one does struggle, because one is unable to pronounce the words properly, one is not proficient in reading, Allah still gives them a reward. In fact, 
Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim both relate a hadith from Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha. She says, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Al-mahiru bil-Qur'ani ma'as-safarati al-kiram al-barara. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam speaks of the position of someone who is an expert of the Qur'an. And who's a mahir? Who's someone who's proficient with the Qur'an? Someone who is able to recite it properly. Someone who is able to understand it as it should be understood. Someone who does justice to the Qur'an in its recitation, in its understanding. Such is an expert. The Qurra and the ulama of the Holy Qur'an. The Huffad and the Qurra. Especially the ulama who preserve the meanings of the Qur'an. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, المahir بالقرآن, the experts of the Qur'an, الكرام البررة, is with the noble, righteous, ambassador angels. His rank is with them. Oh, he is in their company, not he is in their company. Now why them specifically? Because in Surah Abbas, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, speaking of the Qur'an, says, كَلَّا إِنَّهَا تَذْكِرَةً فَمَنْ شَاءَ ذَكَرَةً فِي صُحُفٍ مُكَرَّمَةً مَرْفُوعَةٍ مُطَحَّرَةً بِأَيْدِي سَفَرَةٍ كِرَامٍ بَرَّرَةً Nay, this, i.e. the Qur'an, is an admonition. So whoever wishes should take heed and remember the Qur'an. فِي صُحُفٍ مُكَرَّمَةً in Honored scriptures. In honored scrolls. The Quran is an honored, fi suhufi mukarramah, in honored scrolls. Marfu'atin mutahra, elevated, purified. Bi'aydi safara, in the hands of ambassador angels, kiramin barara, who are noble and righteous. So the meaning is just as the Qur'an in Allah al-Mahfuz, in the heavens, is in the care and the custody and the protection of the ambassador, righteous, noble angels. Though, because they look after the Qur'an and preserve it in the heavens, the Huffad and the Qurra and the Ulama and the experts of the Holy Qur'an preserve the Qur'an on earth. So those who preserve the Qur'an on earth, with their knowledge and their expertise and their beautiful recitation, they are in the company of those as-safaratul kiramul barara, those righteous ambassador angels, who preserve the Qur'an in the heavens. So in the hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, al-mahiru bil-Qur'an ma'as-safaratul kiramul barara. The expert of the Qur'an is with the righteous ambassador, noble angels. What of everybody else? He says, وَالَّذِي يَقْرَأُ الْقُرْآنِ وَيَتَتَعْتَعُ فِيهِ وَهُوَ عَلَيْهِ شَاقٌ لَهُ أَجْرَانِ And whoever recites the Qur'an, what's faltering and struggling therein, and it is difficult for him to recite, لَهُ أَجْرَانِ He has a double reward. So one reward for recitation and one reward for trying. 
That is the reward and virtue of the tilawah of the Qur'an. One should never give up. Memorize as much as possible. Read as much as possible. It's the kalam of Allah. It's the speech of Allah. And as I said, he has a hidden power. And especially in the month of Ramadan, the Qur'an is connected with Ramadan. During the day recited, during the fast recited, during taraweeh, during the night. It has always been the custom of the believers. There are many ahadith who speak of the virtue of the Qur'an. In one hadith related by a Muslim in his sahih, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, وَمَجْتَمْعَ قَوْمٌ فِي بَيْتٍ مِّن بُيُوتِ اللَّهِ يَتْلُونَ كِتَابَ اللَّهِ وَيَتَدَارَسُونَهُ بَيْنَهُمْ إِلَّا نَزَلَتْ عَلَيْهِمُ السَّكِينَةِ وَغَشِيَتْهُمُ الرَّحْمَةِ وَحَفَّتْهُمُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ وَذَكَرَهُمُ اللَّهُ فِي مَنْ عِنْدَهِ Never does a group of people gather in any one of the homes of Allah reciting the book of Allah and studying it amongst themselves. Except that, tranquility descends upon them. Mercy envelops them. And the angels surround them. And Allah mentions them to those who are in Allah's company. The angels do descend at the time of the recitation of the Qur'an. Imam Bukhari and others relate a hadith that Usaid ibn Hudayr a companion. He was once reciting Qur'an at night on the roof of his house. And in one narration, in the compound. There's one narration on the roof and there's one narration in the compound. He was reciting the Holy Qur'an outside his house. His child was close by. And there was a horse. His horse was tied up. As he was reciting loudly, all of a sudden the horse was startled. And it started dancing and prancing about. So Sayyid stopped his recitation. As soon as he stopped, the horse settled down. When he resumed, the horse bolted again. He was tied up, so he didn't bolt away, but he started dancing, prancing, became very excited. and stopped. As soon as he stopped his recitation, the horse settled and calmed down. Then for the third time, he resumed his recitation. As soon as he began reciting, the horse began dancing and prancing. He stopped. Then he feared for his child because it was close by, so he went to check. So he brought his child closer to safety. And then he suddenly glanced at the heavens. And he saw a huge cloud filled with lights as though they were lanterns. And he continued staring at it as it rose and ascended. And then soon it disappeared. The whole cloud disappeared. In the morning he went to see Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And as he was relating the incident, he said, O Messenger of Allah, last night I was reciting the Qur'an 
the horse was tied close by and as I began reciting the horse began dancing and prancing so I stopped so it was as though the Prophet knew so he said to him oh Sayyid carry on reading carry on reading so he said yes Ya Rasulullah when I resumed my recitation it began dancing again and then when I stopped, it stopped. So the Prophet wasallam said, Oh say, carry on reading, carry on reading. When he related the whole story to him. And he said, Oh Messenger of Allah, I saw this huge cloud, something like a cloud, filled with lights as though they were lanterns. And they were rising and ascending to, in the sky. And I watched them until they disappeared. The Prophet wasallam said, Oh say, do you know what that was? I said, no, O Messenger of Allah. He said, these were the angels who had descended from the heavens to listen to your recitation of the Qur'an. And this is what the horse saw. And O Sayyid, had you carried on reciting, the angels would have descended to the streets of Medina, to Medina, and your companions, the people, would have seen them. The angel would not have been hidden from the people. That is the beauty of the Qur'an. The animals recognize its virtue. We should. In another hadith related by my Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi in his sahih, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, recorded, this is narrated by Abu Umama al-Bahili radiyallahu an. He says, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, اقرأوا القرآن فإنه يأتي يوم القيامة الشفيعا لأصحابه Read the Qur'an, recite the Qur'an for on the day of judgment, it will, on the day of resurrection it will come as an intercessor on behalf of his reciters. Those who recite the Qur'an on the day of resurrection the Qur'an will intercede on their behalf. And in fact, speaking of Ramadan and the Qur'an, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As relates, in a hadith recorded by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, he says that on the day of resurrection, the Qur'an and the fast will both plead with Allah on behalf of those who would fast and recite the Qur'an. They will, they will both be given a voice. And the fast will say, O oh my Lord, I prevented the servant of yours from his drinking and needs during the day. Accept my intercession on his behalf. Then the Qur'an will say, O oh Allah, I prevented the servant of yours from resting at night because he was preoccupied in my recitation. O oh Allah, O oh my Lord, accept my intercession on his behalf. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, For your shafa'an, they will both be given, they will both be granted their intercession. Their intercession, the intercession of the Qur'an and the fast on behalf of the fasting, reading, reciting person will be accepted by Allah on the day of resurrection. And as for those who memorize the Qur'an or who recite it well, Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal rahmatullahi relates in his Musnad. From Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As radiyallahu anhumah, says the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, on the day of judgment, sorry, يُقَالُ لِصَاحِبِ الْقُرْآنِ اِقْرَأْ وَرْقَ وَرَتِّلْ 
كما كنت ترطر في الدنيا فإن منزلتك عند آخر آية تقرأها it will be said to the a person of the Quran on the day of judgment that read and rise i.e. read and climb the stages and the grades of Jannah so it will be said to him read and rise اقرأ ورقة ورطل and recite as you would recite in the world for your rank this day will be by the final verse that you recite. So carry on reciting. Where you end your recitation, that will be your level. So imagine those who will begin reciting and carry on rising till the end of the Qur'an. <coughs> Every believer has a special relationship with the Qur'an, especially in the month of Ramadan. And speaking of the tradition Look at the ulama of Islam. Amen. There are so many stories of the ulama, Allah Akbar. They gained special strength in the month of Ramadan. It's all about love. It's all about what matters. Those who love raving, reveling in parties, they can dance all night long. And they won't get tired. Those who love the Qur'an, despite their hunger and their fatigue and their weakness and their sleeplessness, they can stand calmly in a very noble and dignified manner. Humble and devout, they can spend the entire night reciting the Qur'an before Allah. They can do it. And it's been the tradition. Imam Bukhari, along with his traveling and along with his work on hadith, in the month of Ramadan, he would complete one Qur'an every day during the day. And he would finish the completion of the Qur'an just before at iftar time. And then he would say to his companions that upon the completion of the Qur'an, Allah accepts people's du'as. And then he would make du'a. So one Qur'an every day, which he would complete just before Maghrib Salah, Iftar. And then at night, he would rise with his companions. And he would actually lead them in Salah after Isha. And he would complete ten, one-third of the Qur'an at night. So in this way, with his companions leading them in prayer, he would complete ten Qur'ans throughout the night of Ramadan. By the end of Ramadan, he would have completed ten Qur'ans. But in Salah, whilst leading his companions and students and fellow scholars, and during the day, privately, he would read one whole Qur'an every day. So by the end of the month, he had 40 Qur'ans complete. It's related that Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, would complete one Qur'an during the day whilst fasting, and one Qur'an at night too. Now, people do say that, how is all of that possible? Relativity, my friend, relativity. Time is Relative. We have microwaves, 
gas, electric cookers, stoves and hobs. We have fancy kitchen appliances, dishwashers, dryers. We know. We have cars. We have so much. We have modern day technology, instant communication, everything's instant. Instant food, instant coffee, instant satisfaction, instant gratification. Everything's instant. Instant communication. Allah. And yet, everyone's complaining, no time, no time, no time. There's no barakah in our time. In a hadith related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa explains that a time will come when one year will become like one month, one month will become like one jum'ah. The meaning of one jum'ah is one week. And one week will become like one day, and one day will become like one hour. And not hour as we know it of 60 minutes, but a moment, sa'ah. And a moment will be like the burning of a wick, meaning a flash. There will be no barakah in our time. And we see that in other ways. You've all heard of Ibn Jarir al-Tabari, rahimahullah. Ibn Jarir al-Tabari, rahimahullah, was a famous scholar of Baghdad. He died in 310 Hijri, 310 years after the Hijrah of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. A very famous scholar. He wrote many works, many of which are unfortunately extinct. We, we've lost them. But very few of his works are extant. But two of them are famously the tafsir of Holy Qur'an. And normally it's available, well it's a huge tafsir. And it's interesting to know that this tafsir and commentary of Ibn Jarir al-Tabari is actually an abridged version of his original commentary which is lost to us. And he has a book on history called Tariqul Al-Umami Wal-Muluk, the history of nations and emperors in Arabic. And the, uh, an abridged, summarized translation, an abridged, summarized translation, and it's not even word-to-word it's just a very loose, abridged, summarized translation of his book of history, the history of nations and emperors. This has been translated by a collection of academics and professors and published over many years, and that runs into 40 volumes. But it's taken a whole team of academics and professors and Arabic linguists to translate that work into English and publish it over time. That's just one of his works. Now Ibn Jarir al-Tabari, rahimahullah, his students gathered after his death. And in the olden days, they wouldn't have a small A4 sheet, but a very large parchments and scrolls. So they collected all of his written works, and they calculated them. And their final tally was... That during his lifetime, Ibn Jarir al-Tabari, rahimahullah, had written 300,000 pages. In those, in those days, with quills and ink pots and candlelight. 
Allah had placed barakah in that time. But the reason I mention Ibn Jarir al-Tabari is because we have proof of that. We have that proof. Jalaluddin al-Suyuti, rahimahullah, a scholar who died in 9-11, Hijri. He died before the age of 40. And he left behind hundreds of works, hundreds. He was a polymath. One of his famous works is a commentary of the Holy Qur'an, Tafsir al-Jalalain, speaking of the Qur'an. And I won't go into the details, but he only did half of that book, only half. His teacher commenced it. His teacher only managed to do half before he passed away. So Jalaluddin al-Suyuti, rahimahullah, he completed his teacher's work. And he completed the half of the seed of Jalalain. Strangely, his teacher started it from Surah Al-Kahf and ended it till the, with the end of the Qur'an. So even though he did it first, he did the second 15 first and then he left this world. Jalaluddin al-Suyuti, rahimahullah, completing his work, even though he, came, he did it later, he started from the beginning and took it till halfway. I know that's counterintuitive and sounds strange, but that's a fact. But he completed a commentary of 15 parts of 30 parts of the Qur'an. Jalaluddin al-Suyuti. And the idea, the pattern of this tafsir is to summarize the commentary of the other scholars and provide a very succinct commentary of the words of the Qur'an. That is a task in itself. For someone to just waffle and say anything is one thing. For someone to measure and calculate their words and provide a commentary of the Holy Qur'an in a very succinct manner is a very strenuous mental activity. It requires a lot of mental thought and vigor and time. But do you know how long it took Jalaluddin al-Suyuti to complete the commentary of one half of the Qur'an in that manner? Forty days. He completed the commentary of half of the Qur'an in forty days. Allah placed barakah in their time. So the reason I've given these examples of Mawlana Abdul Hayy al-Laknawi rahimahullah, a scholar of the Indian continent, not too long ago, he also died before the age of 40. And yet, by that time, without any modern day equipment, we're talking about well over a century ago, one and a half centuries ago approximately, <coughs> almost two now, do you know how many books he produced? And we're not talking about booklets, we're talking about very authoritative scholarly works. Before the age of 40 he passed away, he left behind 125 works. So I've given these examples of books to show, to show something, which is we have evidence, we have written proof. We are unable to read what one indiv- in our whole lifetime, the output of one individual scholar. And that's just reading with modern methods. And yet they were able to write ten times more than what we can read. That's proof. Allah places barakah in their time. So speaking of Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, is it then, do we find it strange? If Allah would have placed barakah in his time, 
he would have completed one Qur'an during the day, one Qur'an during the night. Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, one Qur'an during the day, one, ten Qur'ans, sorry, one Qur'an during the day, and one third of the Qur'an at night. And I mentioned Imam Bukhari and Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, and I mentioned Imam Bukhari first, because some people, as soon as they hear the name of Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, they'll say, one Qur'an during the day, one Qur'an during the night, that's a fable. And then when you mention Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, they won't say the same. So, some people get very excited when we mention the name of Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, unfortunately. So, Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, 60 Qur'ans in the month of Ramadan. Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, 40 Qur'ans in the month of Ramadan. And how are they able to do it? As I said, relativity, my friend, relativity. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to recite as much of the Qur'an as possible in the upcoming month. And we don't just have a duty to to read the Qur'an, we also have a duty to understand the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَفَلَا يَتَدَبَّرُونَ الْقُرْآنَ أَمْ عَلَىٰ قُلُوبٍ أَغْفَالُهَا What do they not reflect and ponder over the Qur'an? What are their locks and seals on their hearts? In another verse, كِتَابٌ أَنزَلْنَاهُ إِلَيْكَ مُبَارَكٌ لِيَدَّبَّرُوا آيَاتِهِ وَلِيَتَذَكَّرُوا أُولُوا الْأَلْبَابِ Book which we have revealed to you, which is blessed. We have revealed it to you so that they may reflect on its verses and the ones who possess intelligence may take heed. So the Qur'an is a book, not just to read, but also to reflect on and to understand. And then our duty doesn't stop there. There's a third duty in our relationship with the Qur'an, which is to act on what we have learned and understood from our reading and study of the Holy Qur'an. Let us pray that the upcoming, upcoming month of Ramadan is one in which we are able to observe the fast as we should. And along with our fast, Allah also enables us to honor the Holy Qur'an in that month by way of its tilawah and recitation, by way of its understanding and by reflecting on its verses and also by acting on what we have learned and gained from the Holy Qur'an. وَصَلَّى اللَّهُ this lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Alkotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alkotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.